0: Chapter 12 of Life of Dorothea Lynde Dix by Francis Tiffany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 In Journeyings Often. In the letter of Dr. S. G. Howe, quoted at the conclusion of the last chapter, wondering allusion was made by him to the range and multiplicity of miss dix's labors during the previous three years of the actual extent of these labors no due notice has as yet been taken as it seemed wiser for the time to concentrate attention wholly on her work in new jersey and to emphasize it as an illustration of the methods she habitually adopted in reality only a portion of the years eighteen forty three to forty five had been spent by her in new jersey either while engaged in collecting from county to county her statistics or while laboring with members of the legislature often the legislature was not in session often it was engaged on other business often matters were in such promising train that she could safely leave them in the hands of able friends meanwhile she was at work with equal zeal in the neighboring state of pennsylvania conducting at harrisburg the capital quite as arduous a campaign and one destined to prove as successful thus it happened that the date of the passage of a bill for founding an entirely new state institution at harrisburg pennsylvania corresponded very closely with the passage of the bill for the foundation of that at trenton new jersey two equally great trophies of humanity won in a single year only constructively therefore as in the parallel human case of the birth of twins into the family can the term first-born child the term always so dear to the heart of its fostering mother be applied to the trenton asylum indeed so rapidly did these asylum children now begin to follow one another into existence all over the land as to drive a bewildered biographer to the conviction that unless distinguishing marks in the way of red green or blue ribbons shall be tied around their infant wrists hopeless confusion will ere long ensue as to natal hours one capital sign of a mind capable of accomplishing great results had now become evident in miss Dix. she knew when she had done enough in a given place or at a given period and was haunted with no misgivings that Unless her own hand were perpetually on the wheel, in the immediate act of steering, the ship would surely be run onto a reef. There was a time for her to be taking her observations, working her reckoning, studying her charts, and laying out the course of the whole broad India voyage no less a subject than the immensity of the work called for by the condition of the insane in a large majority of the states of the union as well as in the british dominion of canada had now taken full possession of her accordingly in these actual two years in which she achieved her great successes in new jersey and in pennsylvania she is to be found making long and arduous journeys all along the wide stretch from nova scotia to new orleans and mastering the conditions of the problem before her a letter or two of widely differing dates will serve to bring before the mind the extent of these circumnavigations of charity the letters were written to her friend miss heath Lexington, Kentucky, December twenty-second, 1843. I left Boston in September, as you know, visited en route the prisons on Long Island and in the city of New York, also those of New Jersey, and duly reached Philadelphia. There, and at Harrisburg, I was detained a fortnight. Proceeding to Baltimore, I visited prisons there, and so on as far as Pittsburgh West, thence to Cincinnati, where I arrived the last of October. The 1st of November I came to Kentucky, and have been laboriously traveling through the counties, collecting facts and information ever since, except a week which I took in Tennessee. The legislature, being in session in Nashville, i desire to do something for the state prison this effected i crossed the country by a rapid journey to louisville traveling by stage two days and nights i proceed to-morrow to the northeast counties if well enough i have engaged lodgings in frankfort Kentucky, for january and february and shall probably go to the southern prisons after the legislature rises in this state. At sea, steamer Charleston, from Savannah to Charleston, a storm, lying to, march thirty first eighteen forty five. A temporary quiet induces me to use the only writing materials I have now at hand i designed using the spring and summer chiefly in examining the jails and poorhouses of indiana and illinois having successfully completed my mission in kentucky i learned that traveling in the states referred to would be difficult if not impossible for some weeks to come on account of mud and rains This decided me to go down the Mississippi to examine the prisons and hospitals of New Orleans and, returning, to see the state prisons of Louisiana at Baton Rouge, of Mississippi at Jackson, of Arkansas at Little Rock, of Missouri at Jefferson City, and of Illinois at Alton. I have seen incomparably more to approve than to censure in New Orleans. I took the resolution, being so far on the way, of seeing the state institutions of Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. Though this has proved excessively fatiguing, I rejoice that I have carried out the purpose. It is by a vigorous exercise of the imagination alone that even a faint idea can be conceived of the difference between the fatigue and peril involved in journeying such thousands of miles as far back as 1845, and the speed, ease, and luxury with which the same distances can be accomplished today. Comparatively nothing then existed of the enormous network of railways which, at this date, enables the traveler to penetrate at will every nook and corner of the immense area of the united states steamboats on the rivers and by land a few lines of coaches and the hire of private conveyances were then the main dependents the craziest of vehicles the most deplorable roads, and taverns whose regulation diet of cornbread and bacon and greens would have undermined the digestion of an ostrich, were in the South and West the rule, and not the exception. Those, too, were the reckless racing times on the Ohio, Tennessee, Mississippi, and missouri rivers the exuberant days of the earlier national effervescence when to fall back on the picturesque expressions of the period the moment a rival steamboat hove in sight the heaviest man on board was commissioned to sit on the safety valve while the excited planters flocked round the captain eager to dedicate their last ham on the freight bills or a side of greasy bacon to feeding the fury of the rival furnace fires death by explosion counted little against the glory of victory safe escaped to land however discomfort or positive peril merely assumed a different shape from the setting in of the autumn rains to the heat and dryness of the ensuing spring the endless stretches of the clay lands of the south and west became a continent of seemingly bottomless mud few bridges spanned the creeks and rivers which were passable only at certain fords often swollen by rains and by the force of the current rendered dangerous to the last degree frequent inundations submerged the country for miles back of the watercourses and where the actual roads were not pure and unadulterated mud axle-deep and as tenacious as india-rubber they were largely a corduroy of logs alternately rotted out over which the vehicle thumped and then bounded into the air with a force which left every bone and muscle bruised and sore the drivers as a rule were careless Happy go lucky negroes or poor whites, fortified with whiskey enough to lift them into a realm of serene unconsciousness of risks. Malarious fevers were widely prevalent, and in years of cholera or other epidemics, the lack of medical skill and the general recklessness in the habits of life ensured their rapid spread. Now, The very nature of the work Miss Dix was thus opening up involved that she, a lone and unprotected woman, should penetrate every quarter where an almshouse was to be inspected or an abuse ferreted out when not stopping over at any State capital during a session of the legislature, she must keep herself indefatigably at her task of massing an amount of eyewitness evidence, at once so exact that none could gainsay it, and so moving in its appeal for redress, that the most hardened and selfish alone could resist it. Of the large number of memorials she was to write and bring before various legislatures, memorials to the ability, eloquence, and judgment of which no less a man than the celebrated Chancellor Kent paid the highest tribute of praise, each had to be a separate work with its own local colouring. Kentucky did not concern itself with the state of things in Tennessee, nor Tennessee with that in Kentucky. The states were sovereign. Thus, in the presence of each new legislative David, must she stand up with the commanding authority of a fresh Nathan, to point the finger and cry, Thou art the man. Of course, the amount of labor, physical, mental, and emotional, involved in conducting these campaigns, and no other word but campaigns can adequately characterize them, was enormous. And so the question of her habits and manner of economizing her forces becomes a highly interesting one, as always in the case of those who accomplish great results. Miss Dix was one more illustration of the so common saying that the work of the world is done by its invalids. Like all such sayings, this especial one has truth enough in it to make it worthy of serious thought. Again and again in the world's history has it turned out that it is the general wolf, consumed with the hectic fever of the last stages of consumption, who scales the heights of Abraham and takes Quebec the doctor elijah kent kane who sentenced to death by his physicians but resolved to die in harness goes farther than any of his day toward penetrating the ice barriers of the north pole the darwin economizing his intervals of ten minutes relief from suffering who leads the van of the naturalists of europe and solving the problem of the origin of the species nor is the reason a high endowment of ability once allowed for so far to seek it is as simple in fact as the question why an engine of ten horsepower its piston-rod packed tight and its valves fitting with precision is capable of as much work as an engine of twenty horsepower its draught choked with soot, and its cylinders leaking steam at every joint. The superb dower of physical life, nine-tenths of which a giant, like Daniel Webster, uses up in digesting enormous dinners, washed down by copious draughts of wine, and in the excessive amount of outdoor exercise requisite to enabling him to accomplish the feat, is found in the end to yield no more available working force than these careful invalids consecrated to arms science or humanity managed to wrest from the wreck of their lungs nerves or digestion this lesson of the wise economy of her strength miss dix has now mastered as far as it ever is mastered by natures consumed by such passion of self sacrifice she suffered no social engagements to divert her from her chosen object her business habits were prompt and accurate and no arrears of correspondence were allowed to accumulate relief from overstrain of sympathy and such constant familiarity with misery and degradation she sought in an unfailing delight in nature in the keen interest she always kept up in botanical study as well as through that habitual devout communion with god which was to her perpetual invigoration and peace thus while her friends were in constant fear of her succumbing in some lonely place she always contrived to go to the very verge of self-destruction, without falling over the edge, illustrating in her own peculiar way the words of St. Paul, As dying, and behold, we live. Somewhere in her constitution there must have been a most tenacious fibre. Again and again in those days she was attacked with hemorrhage, again and again prostrated with malarial fever. Indeed, as her lifelong friend, Dr. Charles H. Nichols, of the Bloomingdale Asylum of New York, said of her, her system became actually saturated with malaria, and yet her brain never yielded. Throughout her long life she never knew the meaning of a headache, Meanwhile, she exercised a certain prudence of her own. Whenever, in the midst of her most exacting labors, she found herself in a position where the force of flood or washout proved too much even for her indomitable resolve to press forward, she would take continuously to her bed and store up sleep enough, sometimes thirteen to sixteen hours on a stretch to tide her over the next two or three nights of jolting and wretched vehicles over corduroy roads indeed these chance opportunities of indulging in protracted sleep she seems always to have regarded in the same light in which devout roman catholics look upon the superfluous merits of the saints namely as a sacred storehouse on which to draw for the benefit of the shortcomings of many an evil day and night. The excellent military practice of always carrying along with each piece of artillery an extra wheel, together with a due store of subsidiary traces, linchpins, rammers, and repairing tools, was, moreover, one which— as far as was possible in the case of a lone woman with a limited supply of hand-baggage, Miss Dix now sedulously adopted on all her journeys. Southern roads were then well nigh as destructive to wheels and harness as the average fire of an enemy's battery in time of war. Many the occasion of wrench or break befalling her wagon, on which she was forced to dismount into deep mud and under a drenching rain only to find that her shiftless negro driver was without the simplest means of repairing the damage extra wheels and axles indeed it was beyond her power to supply from her private stores but one or two such experiences encountered and laid to heart she ever after made a practice of carrying with her an outfit of hammer, wrench, nails, screws, a coil of rope, and straps of stout leather, which under many a mishap sufficed to put things to rights and enable her to pursue her journey. It could be wished that more incidents illustrative of these ventures by flood and field, had been preserved for record. An invincible reticence on the part of Miss Dix prevented her talking about herself, and she was, moreover, too constantly worn out with her work to have freshness enough left for picturesque narration. Her letters of this period to friends are largely simple itineraries— to acquaint them with her whereabouts, and are written by snatches on steamboats and trains, in stations and post-offices, or while sitting on a stump awaiting repairs on a broken carriage, with tools furnished out of her own workshop. Here there is a brief record. Cholera on board. Here, a letter headed, stuck fast on a mud bar ten miles below Vicksburg, here another, up again from malarial fever, off for Jackson, Mississippi, to-night. At times, perhaps, she will condescend to enlarge more fully on a river ford, a natural phenomenon for which, no doubt on sufficient grounds of chills and fever, she seems to have entertained an especial aversion as in the following extract. Quote, i have encountered nothing so dangerous as river fords i crossed the yadkin where it was three-fourths of a mile wide rough bottom often in places rapid currents the water always up to the bed of the carriage and sometimes flowing in the horses rested twice on sandbars a few miles beyond the river having just crossed a deep branch two hundred yards wide the axle-tree of the carriage broke and away rolled one of the back-wheels" one highly interesting incident however has been preserved which would no doubt serve as an example of many another experience not in all probability alike in kind but still quite as illustrative of her courageous character The version of it here, given first, appeared in print in the Greenville, South Carolina, Patriot, and, as it was sent in slip by Miss Dix to her bosom friend, Miss Anne E. Heath, has thus her own endorsement. The date of the occurrence was unquestionably several years later than the period of her career we are now engaged on, but while describing the nature of her lonely and exposed journeyings this seems the most appropriate place in which to introduce it an interesting incident the other day in conversation with miss dix the philanthropist during her visit to greenville a lady said to her are you not afraid to travel all over the country alone and have you not encountered dangers and been in perilous situations i am naturally timid said miss Dix, and diffident like all my sex but in order to carry out my purposes i know that it is necessary to make sacrifices and encounter dangers it is true i have been in my travels through the different states in perilous situations I will mention one which occurred in the state of Michigan. I had hired a carriage and driver to convey me some distance through an uninhabited portion of the country. In starting, I discovered that the driver, a young lad, had a pair of pistols with him. Inquiring what he was doing with arms, he said he carried them to protect us, "'as he had heard that robberies had been committed on our road. "'I said to him, Give me the pistols. I will take care of them. "'He did so reluctantly. "'In pursuing our journey through a dismal-looking forest, "'a man rushed into the road, caught the horse by the bridle, "'and demanded my purse. "'I said to him, with as much self-possession as I could command, are you not ashamed to rob a woman? I have but little money, and that I want to defray my expenses in visiting prisons and poorhouses, and occasionally in giving to objects of charity. If you have been unfortunate, are in distress, and in want of money, I will give you some. While thus speaking to him, I discovered his countenance changing, and he became deathly pale." My God! he exclaimed, that voice, and immediately told me that he had been in the Philadelphia Penitentiary, and had heard me lecturing to some of the prisoners in an adjoining cell, and that he now recognized my voice. He then desired me to pass on, and expressed deep sorrow at the outrage he had committed. But I drew out my purse and said to him, I will give you something to support you, until you can get into honest employment. He declined at first taking anything, until I insisted on his doing so, for fear he might be tempted to rob someone else before he could get into honest employment. Had not Miss Dix taken possession of the pistols, in all probability they would have been used by her driver, And perhaps both of them murdered. That voice was more powerful in subduing the heart of a robber than the sight of a brace of pistols. When it is recalled that, no farther back than March 1841, Miss Dix's friend, Reverend John T. G. Nichols, had expressed serious fears of a person in such feeble health so much as taking charge of a Sunday school class in the East Cambridge Jail, the results accomplished before the close of 1845 seem well-nigh miraculous. In a letter to Mrs. Rathbone of Liverpool, they were summed up by her in the following words, "'I have travelled more than ten thousand miles in the last three years.' have visited eighteen state penitentiaries three hundred county jails and houses of correction more than five hundred almshouses and other institutions besides hospitals and houses of refuge I have been so happy as to promote and secure the establishment of six hospitals for the insane, several county poorhouses, and several jails under reformed plan. Footnote. The six insane asylums to which Miss Dix refers were the Worcester Mass Asylum, greatly enlarged, the Butler Asylum in Providence, Rhode Island, practically refounded the trenton and the harrisburg asylums her own outright creation the utica new york asylum doubled in size to these is to be added the name of another outside the territory of the united states in toronto canada west as early as eighteen forty three she had memorialized the provincial parliament of canada east and west assembled and had enlisted the energetic interest of the governor and other leading authorities in her scheme sir charles metcalfe wrote her that but for her efforts and labors there canada west would still have long needed a hospital for the insane of her work also in procuring the reformation of jails and almshouses horace mann said that it would make as wonderful a record as her more especial work in behalf of the insane footnote it seems only natural then that her happiness should find such expression as in the following extract from a letter written on board a steamboat on the ohio river to her friend, Mrs. Hare, of Philadelphia. I have had some of the most delightful evidences of good accomplishing, and to be done the past week. I am very happy and wonder, while such holy rewards reach me for effort and sacrifice, I should ever find myself faltering or sighing for the life of repose which in the distance seems to me so attractive end quote. and yet as this narrative proceeds it will be seen that this was as yet but the day of small things with her end chapter 12